Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. So, we continue our journey. The last few weeks, we have been talking about the challenging parts of the Dharma in different ways. And today I want to continue that, and I want to explore... So normally I I title the Dharma Talks way after the fact, before we put them up on the podcast. And uh, But this week, when I was looking through my material and thinking about what I wanted to say, uh, this title came up. Inner work versus outer work. Is pursuing my own liberation selfish? Is pursuing my own liberation selfish? This is one of the big questions for meditators at a certain point on the path. So I wanted to talk about this today, because I think it's really important. And you'll see quite quickly that I'm sure many of you have felt this in in various ways in your journey as meditators and spiritual practitioners. It's one of those questions that we all need to ask at some point in time. And usually the question comes up as, practically speaking, how much do I meditate and how much do I serve? What is the balance between being on the cushion and being in the world? How much do I spend on my own well-being? And then taking that information and that insight and that inspiration off the cushion to serve in some way. Now that's going to mean different things for different people, obviously, but there is this part of the Dharma that we know as skillful action. And a third of the Dharma is how we engage others. And then I say, no, two thirds is basically how we serve others. And then the other third, of course, is the actual meditation, the mindfulness, the concentration, the skillful effort. So at some point in time, if we remain serious and true to the path, we're going to come across this inner tension, this inner conflict. And sometimes it's a inspiring spiritual inquiry, and sometimes it is fraught with some guilt, some shame, and some confusion. So I wanted to go over this and really dive into how we might ask this question from an actual Dharma perspective, really looking at this in terms of the Dharma itself and why this question is so complicated and seems to oftentimes just leave us chasing our tails. So you might know this feeling of second guessing. You might be familiar with a sense of doubt or a sense of guilt. And you might ask yourself, am I doing enough? Am I really a good person? Is it really selfless to sit on a cushion or to go on retreat? And am I really being spiritual or am I being selfish? Throw up a hand if any of these questions have ever crossed your mind. Yeah, not just me. (laughs) So you know what I'm talking about. This thing comes up, this second guessing and this doubt. And sometimes the question can be brought on internally, right? It just sparks up in the natural process of being a meditator. 
but sometimes it's actually stimulated or triggered from the outside by somebody else asking us that question. So it's not uncommon if someone knows you're, you're a Buddhist or a meditator or a yogi of some sort and you have a spiritual practice, it is not uncommon for people to gently or not so gently call us, call us to task, right? Call us out and ask ourselves or ask us, so if you're really spiritual, then why aren't you dot, dot, dot? If you're really a Buddhist, then why are you living this way or talking this way or dressing this way or spending your money in this way. So people who are actively engaged in spiritual practices, when we meet other people and other people know that we do that, it's not uncommon for people to ask, well, what does that mean for you to be spiritual? Is it just about you? Do you serve other people? How much do you serve other people? And this, this question if we're not already asking it, this question asked by somebody else can often leave us with a sense of guilt. It can often really create doubt in whether we're doing things the right way for us. And I know I, I have this memory. I was on a bus once to, where was I going? I was, well, I was on my way to New York. That's where I, that part I know, but I can't remember in this moment where I was from because I've crisscrossed the country many times. But on this particular trip, I was sitting next to somebody and we were talking about Buddhism and I was talking about my practice and I had said, you know, I'm very much into Theravada Buddhism, ancient Buddhist practice. And the person next to me said, oh, so you're one of those people that doesn't take the Bodhisattva vow. <laughs> And there was more than a slight condescension <laughs> in his voice about I was the selfish kind of Buddhist because I was pursuing enlightenment and that was not not cool. So I've had these moments myself where someone has asked me about my practice uh, and about how spiritual I really am or if I'm selfish and so on. And it's a reasonable question. You know, it's a reasonable question for us to ask. So this question can come internally, can be triggered externally, but at some point as a meditator, if you're serious about practice, you're going to ask yourself this question, how does wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood, how does the determination to show up in the world as a kind, loving being actually work in real life, like in our actual lives, right? Because it's never as easy as we think. And I think it's important to really begin by reminding us that this question is skillful and normative so that if you're asking that question, you are definitely on the path because this question about ethical behavior for a spiritual practitioner is something that spiritual seekers and philosophers have been asking for thousands of years. So this is something that we ask as spiritual practitioners, and it's something that's normal to the path. We're not asking it because we're not doing something right, and we're not asking it because we're not good enough. We're asking it because we want to do this work well. We want the ardency, we want the liberation, and we want to know that we're truly walking the path and that it's getting us to the place that we think it will go. So it's important to remind yourself that asking the question, what is my ethical responsibility to other human beings, means you are walking the path. That is the question. And you'll continue to ask that question as the practice deepens. And as the practice deepens, the answer will continue to evolve. In this moment, all of us are in the path at a particular place for us. 
and what it means to be kind, what it means to serve others, what it means to be compassionate is going to be different for everybody in this room. And as we all grow in the practice, that definition is going to change over time. Some of us might be serving in a workplace. Some of us might be showing up as compassionate beings with our family or with our children or formally working or taking part in some kind of social justice group or some kind of activist group. It's going to look different for everybody how we show up and how we serve with compassion. It just depends on your station in life, where you are in your practice and where you are in your actual life. So I just wanted to normalize that, that it's not like we answer that question and then go practice. The practice is about answering that question. It is a part of the unfolding of the enlightenment, of the liberation. So it's just going to keep going. It's just going to keep changing and evolving for all of us as we move along in our practice. One of the things I've noticed about this question, about balancing the internal work and the external sense of service or compassion, is that oftentimes we ask the question, okay, how much should I be meditating? What should I be doing to be an actual spiritual person in the world? And the answers don't actually come. And we end up feeling guilty, confused, and often just stuck. Like we ask the question, but we don't actually come up with any kind of answer that's practical or workable for us. Anyone feel stuck sometimes with this, even though they've asked the question? Yeah. I feel stuck sometimes, like even though I'm asking the question, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be asking or how I'm supposed to be doing this. So we can still end up with a sense of stuckness with this. And so what I'd like to suggest, uh, what I'm going to do is just remind us of a couple frameworks that can help open up this question and make the question a little bit more practical and a little bit more functional in our lives. And I'm going to remind us of three things. One is that when we ask this question, we want to remind ourselves that we want to ask the question in light of the Dharma. We want to frame the question within Dharma language and within the path itself, because that's where this question, at least for meditators or Buddhist meditators, arises. So the path itself has a way of asking the question. So we can, we can at least take some refuge that we have some guidance on how we might think about this. We also have to remember that when we are asked, you know, you'll often hear me say, how do we want to show up? How do we want to show up in the world? And that's just my interpretation of the skillful action part of the path. Now, in the past, I always figured that saying that would inspire people or encourage reflection. But I have gotten feedback that at times, if I ask, how do you want to show up? Depending on how you've lived your life and certain experiences that you've had, some people can have a response of guilt, a sense of like, I'm not doing enough for other people, or I haven't done enough in the past. So this question comes and triggers some of our baggage, some of our biases. And so we just also need to remember that this question could be tough. It could be triggering, right? One of the things I've noticed for those of us who were ever parentified as a child, meaning you had to take care of a parent or take care of a family member who was sick or not at ease. As we get older, 
and we're asked to serve or show up in the world in a sense of service, whether it's activism or just in the sense of compassionate, like volunteerism, that can be very triggering for us. If we have an experience where we did a lot of service at one point in time, it's also can be triggering for those who've had bad experiences having to serve others or care for others. If it has a emotional hue to it, or there was an uncomfortable experience, or we were shamed in the past because we were told we weren't serving enough, then when we get to this part of the path within the Dharma, those kind of things can come up. So I would invite you to just think of that when you're wrestling with this idea to remember that this could be triggering you in a particular way, and it's totally fine if it does. The last thing I want to remind us is that oftentimes when we ask ourselves, what is this relationship between practicing for self and being selfless, we often don't ask the question in a realistic, practical, or functional way. For some reason, I feel like in the West, when we ask the question, unconsciously, what we're asking ourselves is, how do I be a saint? <laughs> how do I save the world? How do I work a full-time job, raise my kids, have time for friends, work on this and that, and save the world all in seven days and 40 hours a week? So sometimes when we ask ourselves, how am I going to show up? Part of our, our brain is actually asking how we can martyr ourselves to, to the cause. And so we have these huge expectations, unreasonable expectations of how we can help. And it can really make this question challenging. And what I always like to tell people is, it's not your job to save the world. It's just your job to do your part. That we're in this together as a human family, ultimately. And that it's not any one of our jobs to take the whole burden, because our shoulders are not designed to take the whole burden of climate change or a social justice cause or the homeless situation. For those of you here in this room in Portland, none of us can save or make the change on that macrocosmic level. But what we can do is our part and we can get comfortable serving in a way that's healthy for us and healthy for others. And that I'm convinced of. So just for a reminder, whenever you ask yourself to be a saint, you might want to reframe the question when you're saying, "How? what can I do to show up in the world as a kind, loving, and generous being? There is a limit to what you're capable of. And honoring that, I feel like, is really important. And I'm actually saying that because I do this all, all the time. I have way too high expectations of myself, um, and it can be bad for me to, to overextend. So just a reminder that we are human and we're in this together, and we each can do our part. And if we did, in fact, all do our part, the world would change dramatically. It would be significant if we just each did our part for some type of compassionate service to someone or something outside of ourselves. Let's remind ourselves of the structure of the Dharma. And I think this has been helpful for me. It is pretty common for us when we ask these questions about ethics to want a very quick, short, concise, prescriptive answer. <laughs> we want to say, what should I do to be a good person? And we want to just do it. We want to just like kind of open the fortune cookie and have it all laid out. And we just want to be able to do the work. We want to find out, how do I be enlightened? Just tell me the steps and I'm going to go do it. We want to find out, how do I be a good person and feel not guilty? and, and live, live in the world. And we want it to be quick and easy and short and to the point. 
And the problem is, is the Dharma is not prescriptive in this way. The Dharma is not a path of commandments. It's a path of curiosity and creativity. It is a path of discovery rather than a path of straightforward directives on how to be a loving and kind human being. And if we can remember that this whole thing is a journey that unfolds in the heart, then we can give ourselves some leeway to really explore what does it mean to show up with a heart of compassion and a heart of generosity. If we allow ourselves to remember that spirituality is a process of growth, it's a process of insight, and we're not going to know all the answers in the beginning, and we're going to fall on our face, and we're going to do it incorrectly, and we're going to go too much one way and too much another way, but eventually if we keep practicing and we have the strong determination, the certainty that we're seeking does begin to arise. But we must start by allowing ourselves the freedom to explore, to question, and to actually take part in the spiritual journey. And as I mentioned earlier, there are entire treaties written by philosophers and spiritual you know, seekers and famous spiritual people throughout history on the ethics of spiritual practice. So the fact that we're asking the question means we're doing okay. We're doing the work. And we're not going to figure this out just in one meditation or one Dharma talk or one book. It's going to be ongoing. The Buddha, when he was teaching his son about ethics, he says these three things that always are, I think, such great reminders about how we know if we're doing any of this right. And the Buddha says pretty bluntly, do what you think is blameless. Do what you think is harmless to serve yourself and serve others. And then watch. Watch for the short-term consequences. Watch for the long-term consequences. And check in with people that you think are wise. So you, you do what you think is good, right? That's your intention. We all have ignorance and blind spots, so we might inadvertently harm somebody. We might say the wrong thing. We might not be working as hard as we think. And how do we know that? We look for the karmic consequences. We look for the way that it affects us in our heart and mind. We look for the way our actions are visibly affecting others. And we check in, right? We check in with our community. We check in with our peers and our teachers and those around us. And we look for the consequences. And what's so funny about that is, I mean, it's it's just practical, right? It's not like mystical. It's not even like spiritual. It's just like, how do I know if I'm being a good person? I don't know. What are your actions producing? <laughs> it is like so straightforward. And that's how the Buddha talks about it. Like you just have to try to show up in service of others and then watch what happens. So I always find that to be such a great reminder because I'm always looking for some grand insight or some, you know, great Zen saying or something that's going to set me on track to be this like compassionate and kind being. And what does the Buddha say? Figure it out. <laughs> Try it out. See what happens. See how people are responding. Watch how your heart responds to what you're doing. So if we can do that, it really frees us up to not feel so guilty to not feel so insecure about the fact that we're going to mess up, that we're not always going to be doing things that are blameless. But then when we realize that we are doing something that's harmful, we course correct and we course correct quickly with intentionality. 
with a sense of connectivity and compassion and a sense of treating other people or whoever we've harmed with a sense of dignity. Doing that and practicing that regularly really does lead to a sense of ease and well-being because no matter what we're doing, we realize I really am doing my best. I really am trying to be a person that stands in the world with a sense of goodness. And so I really want to stress giving yourself a break, really treating this as a journey, understanding that ignorance is a part of the Dharma. The wheel of dependent co-arising starts with ignorance. The Buddha encourages us to remind ourselves that we just don't know. We just don't know. And we won't know until we know. And we just have to jump in and try. And to me, that's so welcoming as a spiritual tradition. Because in my past, in other spiritual traditions that I've been a part of, there was a lot of scolding and a lot of finger wagging and a lot of you should be a better person in the sense of sin and redemption and you're going to be suffering or punished for a very long time for what you've done. Where in the Dharma, we're asked to acknowledge, hey, we're just imperfect. We're ignorant. We all start with an ignorance. And yet we walk the path with a sense of desire to dispel that ignorance. And we do so with love in our hearts for ourselves, along with love in our hearts for others. In my experience, if we allow the ethical part of the path to be a process, if we really accept that asking ourselves, what is my ethical obligation to other human beings? If we, if we realize and accept that that really deserves our time and our inquiry, and that's a really, really good question, if we understand that it's going to take trial and error and that we're going to mess it up on occasion, if we do all those things, the inquiry itself becomes less stressful. It becomes a real sense of personal education, personal evolving, and personal growth. I always think it's interesting, and I speak from direct experience on this, you know, if I'm learning something new, like, I don't know, let's say I'm learning to cook or something, I'll give myself a huge berth, right? I'll give myself so much leeway to mess it up. But if I'm doing something in my spiritual practice, for some reason, I don't give myself as much leeway. I don't give myself as much self-love if I'm not learning the Dharma quick enough or if I'm not showing up in the world the way I would like. But it's amazing if I'm trying to, I don't know, learn anything like I want to go learn to ride a skateboard. I would be so kind and compassionate to myself every time I fell down. But the minute I don't feel like I'm serving in the world like a quote-unquote Buddhist, I shame myself and I feel guilty and like suddenly I'm losing sleep over it. Or if I feel like, if I feel like I'm not doing enough for climate change or the environment, I'll just get really stressed out and there'll be a sense of I'm not good enough and I'm not doing a good enough job. But in all other areas of my life, it's like free reign. I can be ignorant and I can trip and fall and that's okay. So I can't, I'm not the only one who's like that. So I just encourage you to remind yourself that the exploration of ethics in our spiritual practice is that same thing. It's a journey. We're going to figure it out. We're going to learn together and from each other and with each other. And let's give ourselves some self-love in the process. Allow ourselves the beauty of the ignorance and the beauty of the awakening as we move through the process. It'll be much easier and a lot less guilt if we do so. I have the privilege of working with a lot of students, obviously, as a teacher. So I get to talk to lots of people. 
And I also, of course, have a long history of being in social work and activism myself in all kinds of shapes and forms for 20 years now. And it just so happens that these days I do meet with a lot of meditators who are also activists in various ways, in particular social justice movements and climate change being primarily. But I meet people all the time who are trying to show up as kind, loving, and beings of service, and it's devastating them inside. They're tired, they're angry, they're losing sleep, they're anxious, they're feeling guilty like they're not doing enough, and their desire to show up in service is not going to last that long if, if that balance cannot be struck. And as someone who's been in social work for a really long time, I know firsthand that if we do not ask these questions skillfully and care for ourselves in the process, getting burnt out and getting fatigued by being compassionate with other people is a real thing. We lose a lot of great leaders and a lot of great activists and a lot of great social workers because those who are trying to show up in the world don't care for themselves in the process of trying to show up with love and compassion. Because serving others and working with these type of causes is very emotionally tiring. So we have to remember to work on these things skillfully so we can in fact show up with the greatest vibrancy and the greatest energy and the greatest motivation and can show up that way for long periods of time without burning out and injuring ourselves in the process. So that brings me to my next point, which is skillful effort. It's important to remember that, so let's, let's, let me back up, skillful effort in the Dharma. Skillful effort occurs as a fold of the path, right? One of the eight folds of the path is skillful effort. And skillful effort is one of the enlightenment factors. And you've probably heard me say this before. Any one of the Buddhist concepts that appears as both a fold of the path and an enlightenment factor, you want to post that on your refrigerator. That's something you want to pay attention to. Because the Buddha has a series of crossover topics like mindfulness, like concentration, like effort that occur in both of those lists. And you can see when you look at the Buddha's description that he really takes those seriously. They're not, it wasn't a typo, right? It doesn't occur on both lists accidentally. It's a real intentional thing in his pedagogy. He sets out this training to highlight things that are most important for us as students. Skillful effort is a huge component of practice, and it often goes unnoticed. So I want to highlight it here in regards to this topic of caring for ourselves and caring for others. Skillful effort is a part of the path because the Buddha realized that if we're going to grow and evolve and change and really become more compassionate and really become less self-oriented and more selfless, we need to realize that that's going to take some effort. It's going to take some practice. We are going to trip up and fall now and again. That is in part why skillful effort is a reminder for us as students. It is possible to overwork and to underwork on the path. We can strive too hard and get burnt out and attached and create more levels of craving and aversion. And we can not work enough and our minds won't be concentrated or mindful enough to do the work. So it goes both ways. We can work too hard and we can, in fact, not work enough. 
finding out what that balance is in our hearts is an integral part of the practice. So to bring back around what I was saying earlier, part of skillful effort is the acknowledgement of beginner's mind. Skillful effort says it's okay to not have the answers. It's okay to just go try. It's okay to not be certain and still be working on your spiritual goals. It's okay to not know what enlightenment is. Who really knows what this is anyway, right? It's okay to not know that. It's okay not to know if you're being compassionate enough as long as you're compassionate with yourself about that fact, right? So beginner's mind reminds us to accept our confusion, to accept our ignorance as a starting point in any part of the practice, including the ethical dilemmas that we face on the cushion and off the cushion. Skillful effort also reminds us that the path takes time and it's worth your time to engage in all parts of the practice. When it comes to these ethical questions of how do I take care of myself, but am I taking care of others enough as well? Am I doing enough to serve? It is really important that we, f I'll frame this actually in a, in a, from a personal perspective. I think it's important that we take into account that this question really deserves our time. That it, it doesn't, it is more worthy than trite answers and shortcuts and sentimentality. I really think in my own experience as being a meditator, that really asking ourselves, how do I want to show up and how am I showing up? And understanding that that's worth months or years of our life in contemplation. It really is worth our time to think through and to not seek out shortcuts for some quick and easy answer that maybe makes us feel okay in the moment, maybe it relieves some guilt, but doesn't ever give us the depth of spiritual insight that the question really deserves. So I think this sense of skillful effort reminds us that the work we have to do on the path is worth our time. It's worth it to take the time to do the work. Because if we just hang in there and we're patient with ourselves, skillful effort does come to pass. And someday we'll be sitting on the cushion and we'll know that our practice is balanced, that we know how we're serving our friends and our families and our communities and our causes is balanced with how we're serving and loving and caring for ourselves. And it is worth the time to be able to be patient with the insight. Another aspect of this within skillful effort is the precepts. It is very easy when we ask ourselves, how do I take my stuff off the cushion and into the world? How do I get into the world with the Dharma? What does that look like? It's really important to remember that when we leave the cushion and open that door and begin to engage through skillful speech and skillful action and what do we have? Skillful actions, skillful speed, uh, skillful livelihood. When we do that, that we always remember to hold our actions in a blanket of the precepts, to hold our actions close to our heart and remember blamelessness, blamelessness, right? We want to step into the world with blameless action. And the reason I bring that up is because it's really easy to forget that the process of creating peace in the world does take ethical action all along the way.
meaning, and I'm just going to do some quotes here that most of you are familiar with. One of these quotes is from Gandhi, of course, and one is from Martin Luther King. And I acknowledge that I don't have better quotes because these are the two that have most moved me. And I wish I had more speaking this truth, but these are the quotes that really speak to precepts. Martin Luther King's famous quote, Peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but a means by which we arrive at the goal. This is the idea that peace is not the end goal. Peace is the process. And if we're going to walk into the world supporting a cause or supporting some kind of transformation, we must do it with love in our hearts. We must do it and keep our precepts as we're walking in the world. Because the end result only actually comes about if it's embedded in the process itself. We cannot seek peace without peacefulness being embedded in the process. And this is very much a Dharma perspective. Not everyone agrees with that perspective, and I acknowledge that. But as a Dharma practitioner, I want to remind us that that really is how the Dharma is laid out. The famous quote by Gandhi, of course, is, you cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. And I understand, being a white male in a position of privilege, that this quote and this framework does not always land for people. And I get that. And I also get that my perspective is limited. So I acknowledge that in this moment. And yet, as a Dharma teacher, I feel obligated to remind us that when we leave the cushion and go out in the world to serve, we must remember that in order for our engagement to really be engaged Dharma, the Dharma has to come along in our pocket. We got to take the Dharma with us out into the way we serve. And we have to bring our practice into the experience. We bring mindfulness into the service. We bring compassion into the service. We keep our commitments to non-harming into that engagement. That's what really makes it engaged dharma. And again, I know this is not all, this can be a triggering way of looking at it for people, and I totally understand why. But I do want to remind us that this is in fact how the dharma is laid out and how we are encouraged to proceed. I'll give you a couple of examples to why I think it's so important that we maintain this attitude of blamelessness and compassion when we serve, when we get off the cushion and move into the world. In my experience, I started as an activist organizer when I was 18. And I was in Portland at the time and was working with multiple organizations, one that I had started myself, in fact, with other students uh, to support the anti-war movement at the time, which was the second Gulf War. And I remember being in these organizations where we were being trained as activists and training others as activists. And the thing I've seen in every organization like that that I've been in for 20 years is that there's always going to be somebody sitting next to you that's going to tell you that there's a better way to do it or that you're not doing enough. There's always going to be someone that wants the process to move quicker or to move differently or to go in a different way. And it's easy to forget that none of us really know how to do this. Human beings, we don't know how to create peace on the planet. We just don't know how to do it. We're trying, but it's not like it was a lost recipe that's on a shelf somewhere that we just need to find. And then all of a sudden it's going to be okay. We're learning this together. And so it's really important to remember that 
you're going to have to figure out for yourself what it means to serve. That's going to have to be something that ultimately your heart is going to have to tell you. And there's always going to be someone telling you you're doing it wrong because they want it to move differently or quicker or in a different way. I was working with an activist organization uh, during this time. And at the very first meeting, there was a certain group of people who wanted to engage in violent destruction of property actively within protests. And there were part of the people in the group who did not want to do that. And the group split up into two in which people who wanted to engage in property destruction met separately from those who did not want to do that. The group stayed together as a whole, but there was constant infighting because some people in the group really felt like those of us that were passive in our protests were not living up to the expectations, that we weren't doing enough, that we didn't understand. So in any kind of group like this or any type of effort or cause, there's going to be people with differing opinions on how do we get it done? What are we supposed to do? How quickly can we get the social change to occur? And in my experience, nobody really knows. None of us really have the answer. We've got to work it out together. We're constantly learning and growing and changing, which is why for me, I always have to remind myself that when I'm involved in social service, I want my GPS to be the precepts of the Dharma. I want mindfulness and compassion to be my guide because in my experience, there's always somebody who asks me to compromise my values and my ethics when I go out to do this kind of work. There's always somebody saying, no, you shouldn't do it that way. Do it this way. And then I think to myself, oh yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe we should do it this way. It's very easy to get pressured or ridiculed or anything like that when human beings are working together to fight for social change, to think that we're not doing it the right way. There's always gonna be someone that's gonna ask us to compromise our ethics. There's gonna be someone that asks us to act before we're ready. Like we don't understand what the cause is, but we're being asked to engage in it, support it, or act out of it when we don't really understand what it is or we're unclear about what the mission is. This is very common in social work. Another thing that I see a lot that meditators wrestle with is the fact that the cause is different than the process. So you might support a cause, but you might have differing opinions on what the process is to get that cause into effect. So everyone in this room might have an attitude of wanting climate to do something for climate change, right? I know Buddhist community, very much environmentalist. Organ, very much environmentalist. So it's easy to say in a general sense that most meditators that I meet we're always talking about climate change. What can we do? What are the strategies? But they're not universal. Some people think it's one thing. Some people think it's something else. And though we might agree on the cause, the process might create confrontation or conflict. And it might create con confrontation or conflict in ourselves. So we just need to be aware of these kind of things when it comes to our precepts and when we get off the cushion and we want to help others. Okay, so what I was going to say is this, just in my experience. Again, I want to highlight the fact that the theme for this is things in the Dharma that challenge us, right? This stuff is challenging. 
And I have some other frameworks that I didn't bring in today, which I'll bring in next week, uh, that have to do with loving kindness and compassion and things like this. So there's more to this. But again, I want to reiterate that it's easy for me as a middle class white person, uh, male, you know, to say that I want to keep my precepts while I'm serving in the context of activism. So I want to once again acknowledge that for someone else who's in duress, real duress, that might not make any sense at all. And I acknowledge that. And I totally acknowledge that if I'm put in a position, a real position of feeling assaulted and physically harmed, how much would I be able to keep my GPS of my nonviolent commitment as a person? I don't know because I've never been in that situation. But what I can say is that as an activist and having been an activist for so long, for me, it's only comfortable to engage in causes in that way. But I acknowledge that my perspective is not going to be everybody's perspective. And again, I just wanted to throw that out there. And I wanted to summarize by just talking about two things that I experienced recently in trying to engage with other people skillfully. When the... I did a series during the George Floyd protests. In fact, I think we we had a we had a, there was a series of Dharma talks I gave right in the in the in the heat of it. Um, I actually really liked those those uh, Dharma talks. If you haven't if you weren't around for those, I would invite you to go check those out. I thought we as a community really handled that well and and processed that that stuff really well. Portland Insight was creating a statement. We wanted to make a statement of support for Black Lives Matter. And the teachers got together and we were creating our statement. And when we were creating our statement, there was this hypersensitivity of, okay, let's make a statement that's in align with the Dharma as, as individuals and as a community. And let's make sure our statement is sincere. We really wanted our statement to be authentic, like an actual statement of support, not just hey, we're good people and we support you. We really wanted it to be an authentic experience. And we wanted it to be embodied in what we, what we had to say. And we wrote a couple drafts. And we, when we looked at some previous drafts, we looked at the drafts and said, you know, but is that really how we feel? Like, that doesn't seem authentic. We're just saying that because we want to look good. And so we really had a deep spiritual reflection when we created our statement for the community and for those who would look at it. What was interesting during the time we were creating it is that I got several emails from folks saying we weren't posting it quick enough. We weren't posting it quick enough. And I was told that me, not us, but us not posting it quick enough was indicative of us not caring. That we couldn't possibly care because if we cared, we would have had it up already. When actually what was happening is we really wanted to take the time to do it sincerely. We didn't want to just post something up to look good. And so that experience reminded me that this type of energy around social justice and social change can be very conflictual. Even when we think we're doing the right thing, there might be somebody else who's saying you're not doing it right. You're not doing it good enough. You're not doing it quick enough. I saw a uh, Instagram post by someone that I that I really resonated with, which said, "Just because and I'm paraphrasing here, just because the sentiment 
is not posted in my yard does not mean it's not posted in my heart. And the reason it resonated with me is we have to remember that each and every one of us are going to show up differently when we serve. Some of us may attend protests. Some of us may join book groups. Some of us may spend time making quotes or making statements on Instagram or Facebook or what have you. But in the end of the day, it's a personal journey. And we have to be cautious about our quickness to judge others, especially when people are trying to do the right thing. We have to give ourselves some leeway and remind ourselves we're human beings trying to be loving and trying to be compassionate. And it is not easy. And so that was just an experience, you know, that I had recently around that. And it was hugely illuminating for myself. So I wanted to read this quote. I went through a period of time after my clinical internship where I was really suffering from burnout, like authentic compassion fatigue. It was kind of scary. I actually went through a period of time where, where normally I would feel empathy and I literally felt fatigue instead. Like when someone was like feeling suffering, I would try to be in the moment with them. And I was so burnt out from overworking that I couldn't draw up the sense of empathy that used to just come naturally. And it took me a year and a half to be able to get back to where I could really be fully present, empathetic and empathetic to somebody. And during that time, I was asked on several occasions to participate in either some social justice movement because I had been new people and they wanted they wanted me as like either consultant or as part of a training or they wanted me to get trained and I had to say no and I felt really guilty because I had been so burnt out that I knew that if I continued to expose myself to those situations without fully recovering I'd be no good to anybody and now I've got energy and I'm like vibrant and I'm I like totally am back in the empathy groove and I feel like that healing took place. And now I can be very present and very active in taking up the banner of a particular cause. And I'm really glad that I listened to my heart. But there were times when I was trying to heal myself where the messaging I was getting was you're not good enough. You don't get to take a break. You don't get to heal yourself. You've got to keep going. And I'm really glad that I eventually, it was, it was unconscious in a sense, like I just couldn't serve uh, in the way I wanted. But again, there's always going to be somebody else outside of a community or outside of your inner circle who's just going to think it's not quick enough, it's not good enough, or it's not loving enough. And I can't stress that enough because as someone who's been doing this work for so many years, it's important to care for yourself if you're going to care for others. So here's the quote that came, I, this came by today in my feed. Somebody is mad at you right now because you picked peace over drama and distance over disrespect. Somebody is mad at you right now because you picked peace over drama and distance over disrespect. So the take home tonight is this. This is a journey we're all on it together. We don't have the answers. I hope as human beings, we can come together in creativity and compassion and really figure this kind of stuff out. And I look forward to continue figuring that out for myself. And I love nothing more than to serve others. And I believe that's my personal calling in 
in this life, if there is another one. But we need to love ourselves as well. And that's my take home is that this is a process. It's a journey and it takes time and love and care. And the answers are not easy. We don't really know what they are. And the good news is we can be a part of a community like this and get together and try and figure it out. And it's going to take effort. Long, long effort, long, skillful, challenging effort. But I salute you for taking up the banner of Dharma practice and this idea of asking yourself, what is it to show up in the world as kind, loving human beings? And I just love watching you guys go through that process. And I feel very supported and cared for by you all in that journey. It's a safe place to be able to ask those questions. So well, let's conclude there. I went a little bit over, but I had to, I wanted to just tie that up. If anything I said tonight was triggering, please reach out. As I said earlier, it's so hard for someone like myself to talk about this. I am more than willing to put my foot in my mouth and, and course correct. So if anything was like, whoa, you're off base, Gregory, send me an email, shoot me a phone call. Please, please feel comfortable engaging me in this conversation. This is not a private conversation. So please reach out. I just want to grow and change and I want to do it right. So any feedback is always, always welcome. For those who can stay, let us fall back into meta for a few minutes. Thank you so much for your kind attention and your dedication to being peaceful, loving beings. It's hard work. So thank you for doing that and being in my life in this way. Let's sit for a couple minutes and remind ourselves why we're here. Let's take a long, slow, deep breath in, returning to the breathing body. Notice the energy, the feeling tone of the body in this moment. Take as much of the body in as you can directly into awareness full body awareness. Notice the hands and the feet and the arms and the legs, and back in the stomach, fingers and toes, the cheeks and the chin, top of the head, this full body whole body breathing. And with this full embodied awareness, with each breath, let's remind ourselves of our highest aspiration. And may this highest aspiration always be our guide. That we practice for ourselves But our solo practices are never complete unless we're also intending to show up in the world as kind, loving, generous beings. We wish freedom for ourselves, that we can be free from suffering, 
that we can know love, joy, and compassion in this lifetime. And equally important, we wish for all beings to be free, for all beings to be safe from harm, for all beings to know true love, true compassion, and true liberation in this lifetime. And we approach our practice with a sense of grace and mercy for ourselves and others. We ask that we can be forgiven for harm that we have done knowingly and unknowingly. And we make a commitment to forgive others for harm that has been done to us knowingly and unknowingly. And in this space of compassion, mercy, forgiveness, we seek liberation for ourselves and all beings. May all beings be free. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you, my friends, for sharing your evening with us all. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. I'll see you next week. Be kind, be generous with yourselves. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.